When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 74. Today's episode is all about seven steps to building wealth. Because when someone who believes there's never enough money comes into money, in order to manifest there's never enough money, you have to spend all of it and then some. So money burns a hole in your pocket. And we as a society sometimes relate to people who overspend like they're shallow or irresponsible. And I just don't. I see it for what it is because I went through it. By the time I was in my mid-20s, I was earning $120,000 a year, but I was spending one hundred and thirty, And that's how I continue to perpetuate that belief that there's never enough money. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Tap that cute little button that says subscribe. More subscribers means even better guests and even more value. Plus, it helps grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone can use a little more mind love. Hi, friends. Today, we're talking about money. And I think this topic is much needed, especially for my generation. Money is a weird kind of taboo topic. We all want it. We need it to do pretty much anything these days, yet we don't really talk about it. And then we wonder why money can feel so elusive. Even though we think of money as this concrete thing, because we can count those dollar bills, it's actually just an idea. We, the people, made it up. That paper only has value because we said so. So since money is an idea, then of course our relationship with it starts with how and what we think about it. And that relationship with money can have a pretty big impact on whether or not we actually have any. So today starts with our money mindset. But this episode is going to be amazing because we're not just stopping at the conceptual. We're going to dive into some real practical steps to not only change your money mindset, but also to create a concrete and practical plan to acquiring wealth. Our guest today is Hillary Hendershot. She's a certified financial planner, a leading fiduciary financial advisor, and a wealth coach with over 18 years of industry experience. She helps people find financial freedom. At one time, Hillary found herself in a lot of debt, even though she was working hard and putting in a lot of effort. But then she discovered the keys to a new kind of financial freedom that helped her turn chaos into abundance. She grew a seven-figure practice, earned financial freedom, and dedicated her life to helping others free themselves from their own financial constraints. Three key things we will learn are the surprising power of language to make you rich, ways to keep your current lifestyle without undermining your financial success, and why you need a wealth plan and seven steps to creating one. There are so many other goodies in this episode too. And yes, I even touch on tips for you entrepreneurs and freelancers out there that don't necessarily have a stable income. 
Before we dive in, I want to share the easiest way to start each day with a positive mindset. Thousands of other wild women are loving my daily morning mind love emails. They're short daily reminders of your own beauty, magic, and power that are the perfect addition to your morning routine. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. You'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. First, you'll get a really cool free booklet of Powerless based on proven principles from the most successful people to automate your best self. Plus, you'll get a free guided affirmation meditation. It's set to a magical binaural frequency known as the miracle tone, which is known to make you a magnet for love, health, and abundance. The layered affirmations perfectly tune your frequency for personal transformation. Go to mindlove.com to sign up, or if you're out and about, just text the word MORNING to 444-999. That's MORNING to 444-999. And now let's welcome Hillary Hendershot to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I have actually been looking for someone like you for quite a while because my finances have needed a makeover for most of my life, and it's something I've been focused on this last year or so. And from what I know about your framework and also what I love about it is that you've shown the link between this really practical information that, frankly, we all should have learned in high school, and you've brought it back to the mindset. How did you first become interested in all of this? Mm, So it really is like a three-part story and I will give you the one, two, three, and then we can dig into any piece that's even interesting to you. So first, my father was a comprehensive financial advisor since I was about six years old. So it was like I grew up into it. He brought me into his firm with his wife, who's his partner, and they they mentored me to be a comprehensive financial advisor. But at the same time, I felt pretty estranged from the industry because I looked around me and everybody I saw looked like my dad, like an old white guy, right? And so around that time, I found myself struggling in my own personal financial life. So I definitely have a head for numbers. I have a degree in economics, blah, blah, blah. But I was an overspender. And so as I dug into the meat of that, like why was I doing that thing and discovered that it was all mindset work that needed to get done, I thought to myself, you know, if I can figure this out, which I eventually did, I paid off all my debt, I restored my credit score, I rebuilt my retirement accounts, and now I run a really profitable business that's all women-owned and operated. I thought to myself, hey, if I can figure this out, I bet I can give it away. Like I bet I can really provide value for people. And around that time, I joined a mastermind group that was all women business owners. And I really discovered what it is to be a woman who works for, is supported by, and is supportive of women. So it was like, aha, I got it. So here I am. I have this technical expertise, but also this empathy and understanding. And it's women who, in my experience, are estranged from their finances, the financial services industry. So let me be that bridge. Let me be that voice. That really is the story. I can relate to that so much. I was terrible with money in college. I didn't have a lot of it at all. I had like a couple hundred dollars for the month and that had to include my food. And I remember clearly including the hundred dollars that my bank allowed me to overdraft in my actual budget for the month. And not because I had to on necessities, just on ridiculous things that 
I did not need and I didn't even want like the full day before. One time I actually remember being at Saks Fifth Avenue and buying a Furla purse that was on sale from $500 to $200 when I only had $105 in my bank account. (laughs) So ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. I tell people there's a huge difference between earning $100 and spending $110 and earning $100 and spending $90. It's only $20, but it's a massively different life. (laughs) So have you noticed a difference between the ways that men and women handle their finances? as in everything, everything is individualized and customized to the person, right? Everything and everybody exists at some point on the spectrum. But if I were to paint a broad brush, I would say for the most part, women are more disempowered about money than men. Women feel more underserved by the financial services industry than men and women have more insecurity. So they assume that their man or men in general are doing better in the world of money than they are, which in my personal and professional experience, is not necessarily true. So I never want to stereotype, but if I had to say that's what I generally see, that is what I generally see. Money is a funny thing because we're all very hush-hush about it. We're not transparent about how much we have. We don't talk about how much we make. It's almost considered rude if you do. How do you think that has an impact on the way that we feel about money? everyone's money experience and money view and money mindset is individual. So I think it's fascinating when you put 10 women in a room, you've got 10 massively different financial experiences and each one comes from, well, mine is the way the way I see money is the way it actually is, but it's not true. Right. And so seeing that as the rubber meets the road in reality really has a massive impact on their beliefs. I love this idea of getting together and talking about your finances. And I actually did just that last year with my women's group. So I thought I'd share that with you guys in case you're inspired to do the same. Last year in my women's group, every month we had a theme. Well, one of the months, every meetup revolved all around money. And I can't tell you how liberating and helpful it was to just have open, honest dialogues about our financial situations. Also, sharing your salary and making personal finance a more common topic, you will actually get a better sense for how your salary and benefits packages stack up to the norms, which means that'll empower you to be able to ask for what you deserve. It's hard to ask for something that you don't already believe is fair and understanding that possibly your salary could be lower than other people's doing the same thing could be just the education ammo you need to have that difficult conversation with your boss. So my ladies and I actually all got together and we read You Are a Badass at Making Money by Jen Sincero. I'll link to it in the show notes. That book is awesome because it actually has some of those money mindset exercises in it. And then we gathered around and answered some of the topics transparently. It was not only great for our financial situation, it was also great for our friendships. So say somebody realizes, holy crap, I need to work on my money mindset. If there was one key to actually understanding and transforming your finances, where would we start? 
the next really most impactful thing you can do is impact cash flow management at the same time as doing that money mindset work. And by cash flow management, I mean the very nitty gritty details of how much is coming in, how much is going out, how much are you saving, and how much does that put you on a trajectory to have when you want to cross that threshold we call financial freedom. So I really think it's those two things happening at the same time. So that's what I try to do with my clients. So for some, having a money mindset that's based around fear and lack might make sense if they grew up in poverty or if they really did never feel like there was enough money to go around. But for example, in my situation, my mom and stepdad were comfortable. We were middle class, maybe even slightly upper middle class. Yet still, as soon as I was off on my own, I was just terrible with money. So other than just our financial situations growing up, what else impacts our beliefs about money? We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. And now for another episode of lies we've been told about our health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. So other than just our financial situations growing up, what else impacts our beliefs about money? 
This was actually the topic of the TEDx talk that I did. What the neuroscientists have discovered is that our experience of life is really a function of language. It's the stories we say to ourselves and to other people. And I know you've done a lot, covered a lot of this topic on your show. But when it comes to money, see, money doesn't have any nature in reality. It doesn't have any characteristics. It's simply a conversation. We human beings made it up. Some people call it energy. It's the same thing. The fact is, it's conceptual, which is really hard for kids. So as you're growing up, you hear adults talk about this thing called money and you latch on to something that you heard or something that you made up about something that you heard. So it doesn't always mimic how your parents are. So the fact that your parents had sufficient resources doesn't necessarily mean you should have or would have. At some point, what you're describing is that you heard something, maybe it's money makes me powerful, or maybe it's that there's never enough money, and you adopted that as your money operating system. Am I way off there? No, you're right. I actually <laughs> did a course on transforming my money mindset, as I tend to do when I realize something needs improvement. And one of the activities was to try to analyze where some of these beliefs about money came from. And it was interesting because it didn't come to me right away. But then I had this flashback of my neighbor two doors down getting one of those above ground doughboy pools. And I begged for one. And my stepdad just said, nope, we can't afford it. Mm. And it was just his default response for saying it wasn't in the budget or it wasn't a priority or no, I don't want a doughboy pool ruining our lawn. But that was the first time I felt this fear about money. I remember feeling wait, I have no control over our financial situation. And there's either people who have money or people who don't. Yeah. Am I going to be homeless? Am I going to grow up on the streets? Yeah. And I think at that age, there just wasn't really an in-between for me. Oh, yeah. That really is the source of it for you. In that case, you adopt it. There's never enough money. And then you make up a bunch of things. So a network of strongly held beliefs that align with that money operating system. By the way, I trademarked that term. Your operating system runs the computer of your financial brain the same way it runs the computer that you do your work on, right? And you have behaviors that go with that. Now, here's the really tricky thing. So you just described overspending. So being willing to overdraft $100. And I hope you don't mind me using you as an example. Oh, use but me. <laughs> <laughs> use me. By the way, I did exactly the same thing because when someone who believes there's never enough money comes into money, in order to manifest, there's never enough money. You have to spend all of it and then some. So money burns a hole in your pocket. And we as a society sometimes relate to people who overspend like they're shallow or irresponsible. And I just don't. I see it for what it is because I went through it. When money came into my ecosystem, and by the time I was in my mid-20s, I had, I would think I was earning $120,000 a year, but I was spending one hundred and thirty. And that was when money came into my bank account, the only thing to do was spend it. And I always spent before I had it. I was always borrowing for this or that. And that's how I continue to perpetuate that belief that there's never enough money. So, and that's the part that really tricks people because it's like, it's this mysterious thing that we do, right? <laughs> yeah. Because it's these subconscious. It's not like we always just make sure that we don't get an, a job that pays enough. We could be making plenty of money, more money than we technically need, but we'll find a way to make sure we don't have it. It's just kind of yeah. elusive in ways. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. It is very frustrating and very 
destructive for people who never examine it or hear this message that it could be subconscious and it could be a function of just a belief you made up when you were a kid that you can actually unravel and rewrite. And that's really powerful work. And I don't think it can happen in an instant, but I am 100% sure because I've seen it. I've seen it in myself and my clients that with a concerted effort, it can definitely be rewritten. And that's why 70% of lottery winners end up going bankrupt, usually within just a few years. That's right. That's right. Well, there really are several skills to wealth. I created a framework called Seven Steps to Wealth, and I'm not saying there's only one, but earning money or winning it is just one of them. There are so many other things you need in place, practices, mindsets, and habits to keep money in your life. There's a quote from Jim Rohn that says, if someone hands you a million dollars, you had better work to become a millionaire as quickly as you can. Otherwise, you will rid yourself of that money through poverty thinking. And it's so true. I mean, NFL players, lottery winners, inheritance recipients, the examples go on and on. Oh my gosh, I love that Jim Rohn quote. I have the audiobook, The Law of Ambition, and I think it's on that, but it's amazing. Actually, you know what? I am going to insert a clip. Here's the big challenge of life. You can have more than you've got because you can become more than you are. That's the challenge. And of course, the other side of the coin reads, unless you change how you are, you'll always have what you got. I have found in my experience that income does not far exceed personal development. Now, sometimes income takes a lucky jump, but sure enough, unless you grow out where it is, it'll usually come back where you are. Life has strange ways. If somebody hands you a million dollars, best you become a millionaire quickly. So you get to keep the money. Otherwise, sure enough, it'll disappear. Somebody once said, if you took all the money in the world, divided it up equally among everybody, it would soon all be back in the same pockets. There's just something about the way he talks. (laughs) I love it. Best become a millionaire so you can keep the money. (laughs) I know. I know. Well, I love that term, money operating systems. What are some of the most common money operating systems that people listening could relate to? Because I know sometimes it's hard to see that we actually have a problem until somebody lays out exactly how it is affecting us. I know. Well, let me just start by, again, sort of reiterating, money doesn't have any fundamental nature. It doesn't have any characteristics or traits. It's a blank slate. Certainly evil people do evil things and do evil things with money and good people do great things with money. So some very common money operating systems are, first, the first two definitely contradict each other. There's never enough money. And then some people have, there's always enough money. And then actually, if you look at that, there's always enough money. Those people don't tend to plan. They think there'll always be money there. So they don't pay attention. They can become sublime with their own financial situation without actually knowing the reality of it. It's kind of sad. Another money operating system that I see is if I'm good, the universe will provide or daddy will provide. (laughs) Money is the root of all evil. There's money is a tool, like money is just a resource for me. So some of these are, I'm sure, strongly held beliefs about money that you've heard throughout your life. And we don't sort of realize that they're just mysticisms that we make up about money. And 
Another one is, and I mentioned it earlier, money makes me powerful. So these folks are the ones who tend to spend on things that make them look rich. I definitely did this. I bought a BMW 330 convertible on totally on loan. I was just broke, not two nickels to rub together because I wanted other people to think I was successful. And so if you see, you know, you you either know or have heard of, maybe you've seen on TV, people who wear the emblems of wealth proudly, and that's because of their money operating system. So those are some of the most common ones. It's interesting because sometimes I do see where the trickiness comes in. And I've noticed this, especially in the spiritual community, where there's this fine line between focusing on the lack and being smart with your money or having an abundant mindset and overspending. There's an aspect to what I'll just call affirmation. Let's just say for the purpose of conversation that you have a really deconstructive money operating system and someone tells you to think there's always enough money or the universe will provide the universe wants me to be wealthy. In some cases, that's just icing on mud. And I don't know your story, but you can't just take positive thinking and sort of force it into a system that's already well entrenched. But you really can, through conscious work, unravel the money operating system because what we have to do is, let's take, for example, the person who thinks there's never enough money. She's an overspender. You have to go into that person's financial life and through whatever way works for her, get her to stop overspending money by automatically saving, by paying off the bills, by measuring what the overhead is, by giving her one debit card to spend from on a daily basis. And when that debit account is gone, is at zero, she can't spend anymore, right? And in that way, the account balances actually start to grow, which disproves her money operating system. So this is an example of showing a person in reality, there actually is enough money, see? And this really begins to unravel that strongly held belief, which makes space for an optimistic or positive affirmation like the universe wants me to be rich. And there's nothing wrong with the universe wants me to be rich as long as you're actually also looking at your bank accounts. (laughs) Well, I am motivated, I'll tell you. So let's dive into the seven steps for wealth. Where do we start? Oh, thank you. Yes. When I got to my financial rock bottom, as they say, I had a walk of shame home from the gas station because I couldn't put a gas, a tank of gas in my BMW convertible. And I said to myself, this is not how my life is going to go. This is not the future or the present that I'm committed to. And I'm going to do everything differently. And that was my decision to alter the way things had been going and really to be rich. So the first step to wealth is to decide. And some of you listening, or recoiling from that. It's like, how I can't decide to be rich. That's shallow. It's greedy. That's materialism at its finest. But that really is just part of your network of strongly held beliefs. The fact of the matter is we live in a society where you have to amass a nest egg in order to ever stop working. Those are the rules of the game. It's like, I can't eat pizza and drink wine and be skinny like I want to, right? And I can resist those rules as much as I want, but it's just going to cause suffering. So the first step is to decide, make that decision to, in your financial life, get on a path to financial freedom. And then the second step is speak. 
So we've talked a little bit about the importance of mindsets and mindsets turn into language. So you were that little girl who at some point said, there's never enough money to herself. I got it. There's never enough money. And then that was the world you spoke into existence. So now we have to look at what are the things you're saying about money? Sounds like the fear of money going away is very powerful for you. It's gripping for you. So look at the things that you're saying about, well, money could go away or something like that. I invite my clients to stop saying, I can't afford that. Or things like it shouldn't be about the money. It's not all about the money, things like this. But for the most part, we only talk to ourselves about money because we don't have a very open dialogue in our society about money. So it's really about coming out from behind the curtain and being willing to talk about it. So we've already covered that using terminology like I can't afford it isn't the best for our money mindsets. So what are some good alternatives? Say we're tempted with something, but it's not in the budget for that day. What are some ways to talk ourselves out of making that purchase that doesn't disempower us at the same time? Yeah. So two things, you can make the purchase or not make the purchase, but if it's out of the plan then you say, oh, I got it. Okay. Well, let me figure out what I can do to get that money. That's an empowered way to reply. And that's certainly empowering you around me because what you're saying when you say, I can't afford that is money is more powerful than me. Like it can't be done, which isn't true. And then if you're not going to buy it, just take responsibility for it. Like I would have said to your parents, why don't you say to your daughter, we're not going to put that in our spending plan right? We're just not going to buy that for you, honey. <laughs> and <laughs> as a trade-off, we get to have this lovely house and the car has gas in it every day and your sandwich gets made for lunch. And right, like we've decided how we're going to make our trade-offs and that's not it. It's like when I used to be the manager of a restaurant and people would ask for this or that. And I would say, well, that's against company policy. It's like hiding behind this thing. It's like a wall. I can't afford that. Right. But we accept it. I interviewed someone once on my show and she said, when my friends say, I can't afford that, I say, if you say so. (laughs) (laughs) And just to kind of make this, the importance of the speak step bigger, let me share with you quickly a success story from someone I worked with last year. And this is not her real name, but we called her Danica. And when she started working with me, she was just completely a function of this divorce that had happened in her life more than a decade prior. So this divorce had left her destitute. She was just starting a job as a real estate agent. She had to live on friends' couches with her three kids for more than a decade. She couldn't afford rent because she was paying off $300,000 in debt. I mean, she's a survivor, right? But she had this narrative about herself that she told everybody she was surviving this divorce. She was this woman who was going to do, she was mama bear. She was doing it for her kids. But I said to her, metaphorically, you're always just clamoring to get to the top of the mountain. The narrative you're creating yourself in in the world has you being a survivor, but you never get to triumph. You never get to get to the top of the mountain. And in the year we met in 2018, she was on track to make $400,000 in her business. Okay. But she was spending like 425 because she was now spending out of obligation to make the wrongs of the past right. She was paying for three kids to go to college. It was a massive, massive spending situation. And when she saw the narrative that she was creating for herself and for other people, she's like, okay, I got it. She went to her friends and family and colleagues and said, that's the past. 
it's no longer me. I'm now creating triumph. I'm creating financial success. I'm going to be responsible with money. I want to buy a house. I'm going to achieve financial freedom. And it was incredibly powerful. She used to come to our mastermind meeting. She would sort of dance in the room. She's like, I don't even know how I can be here right now. I'm working so much. I have more listings than I know what to do with. She finished 2018 with almost $900,000 in income. And that was all out of just altering the narrative of her life, right? And creating herself anew in the listening of other people. So very, very powerful. I was just talking to a friend about this yesterday. So this is top of my mind, but there were actually studies done where people in lower income areas with less access to education actually have more polarizing emotions because they don't have the vocabulary to define the emotions in between. So our words, the words that we use really do construct our reality and even what we're capable of feeling. I thought that was pretty incredible. We talked about how words construct our reality in episode 39 with Mary Shores for listeners that are interested in that. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. Yeah, that's really interesting. I know, right? Learn something new every day. <laughs> so yes, I'm sort of spiritual about the language that I use. And that's really, it's so formative that we have to address it first. If your money life isn't where you want it to be, that's where to look first. And then, well, second, technically, after you decide. Then the third step is plan. So you do need an actual factual roadmap to success. You wouldn't leave your house in your car for your friend's house to see her across town without knowing your destination, right? And or approximately how you're going to get there. You would just drive in circles or drive around the neighborhood and you would never arrive. And it's the same way with financial freedom. So we really do need to know how much is coming in how much is going out. We need to set up automatic payments at the beginning of the month or the pay period to go to your short-term savings goals and your long-term savings goals. And then the thing I invite people to do differently that really makes the difference is most people plan their savings by spending first and then saving what's left. But you really have the opportunity to do the opposite. You can plan your savings first, set up your overhead expenses and your fund spending so that it works for you, but so that you know your savings goals are happening. And if you're in debt, then your savings goes to paying off debt first. But that does the same thing to your net worth as savings does. They, the numbers go up. So that's good. <laughs> I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between 
all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com mindlove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot mindlove. So there are a lot of apps popping up that do that kind of roundup savings. I use Digit. I've also used Dobot. There's things like Robinhood that'll invest it. Do you see that as beneficial or does the roundup option make it too hard to strategically plan? So I think of that and I get a lot of questions about these tools on my podcast too, but I think of that it's like training wheels. It's sort of like I can't really ride a bike, so I'm going to put training wheels on it and let the training wheels do the work. And if you're on an effective savings, like I call it financial automation. So I literally set up a series of automatic account transfers every month. They get my bills paid, fund my spending accounts and fund my savings accounts. It all happens invisibly. And so it's this beautiful machine that just like works in the background. If you have your savings plans set up, that's sure fine. If you want to save by rounding up each transaction, that's cool. That's like, bonus points. But if it's the only thing you're doing, I highly doubt it's going to get you there, both in practicality and from a mindset perspective, because you can see it's sort of like delegating, but offhandedly, like not consciously. Does that make sense? That does make sense. It's like skipping the work and still expecting to grow. You might save a little bit, but you're not transforming yourself in the process. Yeah, exactly. And then my experience is a lot of those people actually take the savings that is there and spend it at the end of the month anyway. So what's the point? (laughs) I have been that girl. (laughs) I'm like, oh, cool. I saved $400. Now I'm just going to spend it on something that I don't need at all. (laughs) Another furla. Yes. I didn't want the purse. It was just on sale. It's a great deal. I need it. (laughs) I totally get it. It's funny. The purse I carry right now is a furla. It's so funny you use that brand name. So the next step is ask. 
So once you have your plan in place, then you want to expand your financial life by asking. And there's a whole myriad of ways that you can ask. Like, I believe my team reached out to your team at some point and said, hey, can Hillary come on your podcast? That's an ask. You can ask for for a discount. You can ask for a business partner. You can ask to merge your companies. You can ask your husband or wife to participate with you in planning conversations. You can ask for something for free. You can go to Starbucks and ask for a discount on your coffee, right? There's a million ways that you can increase the profit in your personal life, but it all happens through asking. Yes, you can ask for a raise or you can ask for a sugar daddy. The (laughs) options really are endless. <laughs> You're funny. Yes, you certainly can. You certainly can. There's a story about Richard Branson when he started the Virgin Airline. He went to Boeing and he said, Hey, see those jets that you have sitting on the tarmac that you're not using? Let me borrow them for a year. And if things don't work out, I'll just give them back. And they did it. And that's how he started Virgin America. <laughs> that's a. I have been asking for the wrong things. That's a big ask, right? If he can ask for a couple jets, I'm sure you can ask for a discount on your Starbucks. No, honestly, this works for me. My friends and my husband are always amazed because I will just ask for things and people will give it to me. Actually, I just called GoDaddy and realized they raised the prices of renewing my domain name and I asked for a cute customer discount (laughs) and they actually gave it to me. And in the last month, I've also gotten discounted airfare and an upgraded airline seat. So that shit works. What's next? (laughs) The next step is earn. So now that you're asking and you mentioned asking for a raise, you do want to focus on increasing. There's no magic when it comes to money. In order to have it, you have to first earn it. If you're not going to win it or inherit it, you have to earn it. And whether that's because you have a job and you earn W-2 income, or if you're an entrepreneur, you know, you want to raise both the revenues in your company, but also your personal income. And that is really oftentimes where I go to work with business owners because we get enamored of the numbers. You hear people talking online, I have a seven-figure business, a multiple seven-figure business. More often than not, my experiences, people who have a million dollars in revenue are paying themselves $50,000 a year. And it's just like what people don't realize that money that's in a business account doesn't belong to you. It's not yours. It belongs to your business. And ultimately it can go away. It can get taken. It can get sucked up by costs. But the point is you don't own it. So I work with people to really maximize their personal compensation and savings from entrepreneurship. My husband and I were just talking about this because Gary V was discussing how people put too much importance on vanity metrics. And he said he was actually personally making more money when his business was making $8 million than when his business was making $50 million because there was more overhead. I know, tough life, right? But we have experienced something similar on a smaller scale, of course. Well, for now, we'll get there. Just at times growing two businesses at once, it seemed like there should be plenty of income coming in, but we were trying to expand and we were trying to process. So the numbers didn't ultimately mean anything, but the life we were trying to build was worth it. So yes, step five, earn money. (laughs) Got it. What is step six? 
So the sixth step, once you're earning money and you're taking it out of your business or you're not spending it in your personal life, then you're going to save it, right? And you're going to save it for your next car. You're going to save it for your next vacation, but obviously you're going to save it for financial freedom and you need to invest it in ways that earn you compound returns. Now, investing, you can get an entire master's degree on that topic. So, and I've just said invest, like that's the sixth step to wealth. And I know that can be overwhelming. And I do know that investments can be very intimidating, especially for women. And let me just say for purposes of this conversation, there really are at this point, very evidence-based, very low cost, very make sense and profitable ways for you to get consistent returns on your savings in an investment account. And again, probably too much for this podcast, but I think it's enough to say evidence-based. If you go looking for evidence-based investments, you're going to find what, you know something that makes sense for you. Why does it seem that women fear the investment markets or taking risks more than men do? I think, unfortunately, we are all educated by the national financial news media, and they do, to be honest with you, a dishonest and, frankly, crap job of educating us. So their job ultimately is to get you to tune in every night. So they have to grab you by that lizard brain, the amygdala, and scare the crap out of you no matter what's happening. And the truth is, your investments should be boring. My investing life is boring. I encourage my clients to be very bored by what's happening in their investment accounts. There's no reason to pay attention to it on a daily basis because you and I probably have 30, 40, 50 more years left to live, which means we have 50 more years left to invest. And so the daily gyrations make no difference. As long as you have one of those evidence-based, really well-diversified investment portfolios, there's nothing to worry about. My clients own 10,000 companies. 10,000 companies are not going to go out of business, right? So it doesn't matter what happens with Apple or Facebook or Netflix today or next week because they probably won't even be around in 50 years. Something else will have taken their place. So I invite people to just tune the media out. I, I can't tell you how many times on my podcast I will say things that I read in the media or see supposedly well-credentialed people say that are just flat out not true. And it's really unfortunate because I think it costs people a lot of money. Oh, another thing. I feel that is the case with everything, with our food, with our finances, with our medications. And the moral of the story really is to take matters into your own hands. Bring awareness to whatever it is you want to improve and question everything you've ever been taught. Not too much work, right? <laughs> so what's next? The last step. <laughs> All right. The last step is protect. So once you've built your castle, you have to build a moat around it. And that's both practical and conceptual. So from a conceptual standpoint, don't do stupid stuff with your money, right? Once you've got it, hold on to it. It's very rare that someone else is going to bulletproof your finances. So you have to do it for yourself. And if you ask a hundred women what they would do if they inherited a million dollars, they will start telling you and making long lists for you of all the people and organizations they would give it away to. So if you have more money than you need, more power to you. Give it away. Absolutely. That's beautiful. And there are lots of charitable organizations and I'm sure people in need that can make great value from your gifts. But if you don't, keep it for yourself. 
And not only that, but you do need to buy those insurances so that if something does happen, you get compensated. So your homeowners, your renters, your auto insurance, your health insurance. My daughter was diagnosed with a chronic illness last year. I post these bills on Facebook. I've got a half million dollars in medical bills from Stanford Children's Hospital. And my total out-of-pocket has been about $1,000. So pretty incredible what having the right health insurance in place when you need it can do. Also, many of you need an umbrella policy. And then if you're a parent, you probably need a term life insurance policy. So you definitely want to have all those. Well, it can be hard to incur a cost for a phantom expense, like a loss that might occur in the future. When you need insurance, you'll be really glad it's there. So that's the seventh step is protect. Okay, so I have to address an age-old issue for those entrepreneurs and freelancers out there. I know when you're working for yourself, your income just isn't that stable. You might get an influx of money at one point and then have a money famine for a few weeks or even a few months. So how can entrepreneurs create a reliable plan or structure with their finances, even if their income varies month to month? I mean, asking for a friend, obviously. <laughs> yeah, it's a good question and one that every entrepreneur has to deal with. So first, Let's use a metaphor of a plane taking off from the airport. So it's taxiing, it's on the runway, it's expending the most amount of jet fuel that it will during the entire trip to actually get it off the ground. And businesses are the same way. You need startup capital. And at the beginning of starting a business, you know, you can fund your business with your credit cards, with your savings, with your spouse's income, or with investor money. And I'm not saying anything good or bad or about any of those methods, but they are methods that are used. And so that's your jet fuel that's getting you off the runway. And at that point in time, Hopefully you've planned for that first year or two of entrepreneurship, you've pared down your expenses and you're going to be okay. Like you have a plan A, plan B and plan C. So assuming we're talking about entrepreneurs who are already kind of cruising altitude, 30,000 foot, you've been in business for a couple of years, you have profitable streams of revenue. Now you need to create consistent income in your personal accounts, even if you have inconsistent income in your business accounts. So you got to get different accounts. You need to make sure. Or if you have a legal entity like an S-Corp, C-Corp, or an LLC that your business account is titled to the business and not your personal name, that's how you protect your personal assets. And then obviously you have your personal checking account. So no matter what's in your business account, you keep the balance flush or high enough so that it can afford your CEO and owner compensation. So set up that automatic payment. I mean, look at you have inconsistent business revenue, but you have very consistent bills, right? Your mortgage needs to get paid. Your insurance needs to get paid. I mean, as entrepreneurs, we all know that we need to manage our mindset. We need to minimize our stress and anxiety. We have to take care of ourselves emotionally. And part of that is creating consistency and reliability in our money. If you log into your personal account and you don't have enough money to pay your mortgage, you cannot be your best you in the world, right? So you have to tighten the belt for a short period of time so you can get those balances high enough that you know you can afford that owner income. I recommend every two weeks. I don't think once a month is enough. I like every two weeks and that way you know exactly how much you can spend and still be on track. What about combining finances in a relationship? What have you noticed as far as what works and what doesn't or pros and cons? 
I have no problem if you keep your finances separate or if you merge them. However, know that marriage is a business partnership. Money is business. So if you are married, especially in a community property state like the state of California, you are in a business partnership with your spouse. So if you keep your money separate, it's okay. It's just that it's kind of a false separateness. It's kind of a fake division there. I think that just like the seven steps to wealth, you should and have the opportunity to start with the mindset work. So get on the same page about what money means to you, what your financial goals are, how important is paying for college for the kids, when do you want to retire, if you want to take the time to unravel some of those strongly held beliefs from your childhood that are not working, that's a great time and reason to do it. By the way, if you were just messing with your own finances before, but if left unexamined, your money mindset is going to have you screw up your spouse too, let that be leverage for you take the time to work it out, and then you can create a plan together. I do think that many couples need to have little accounts that they can spend from without getting permission from their spouse. You know, and whatever works in your money plan is what works, whether that's $100 a month or $1,000 a month or more. But there should be things you can buy without having to answer to your partner because there's going to be things you want that he or she doesn't understand. And that's fine as long as you have the money for it. And then, you know, I recommend at least annual kind of comprehensive, take a 30,000 foot view. Let's look at what's our savings rate. What did we do last year? How much taxes did we pay? And, you know, you can hire a financial advisor to do that with you or, you know, create a way to do it for yourself, but make sure that you're checking in. What's our trajectory here? Where are we headed? And are we going to achieve those goals? I will say, as far as stress levels go, combining our finances was one of the best things that we did because then we didn't have to focus on the stressful conversations for every single purchase. Like, who's buying groceries this time? Oh, I did this last time, or you haven't paid for anything. Plus, then I could always just glance at him and slide him the bill and act like I had my little sugar daddy and still feel like I was contributing. <laughs> and overall, we were able to have more transparency on what was coming in and going out. But even more so, it felt like it sealed in our partnership in a way. It felt really good for the first time ever to feel like I was on the same team as somebody when it came to money instead of just having to fend for myself for so long. But yes, we still do have our separate accounts so that when I really need to buy $16 worth of vegan chocolate, I don't have to explain <laughs> why that is so important to my life path. And then the May locks to get rid of the stomach ache later. Yes. Well, this is LA. I'm pretty sure there's a clinic to just pump it right out of my system. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my husband was willing to actually merge our finances in terms of we just started paying for things for each other actually before we got married. But he had so many business accounts that he has many, many business entities that he's been running for a couple of years. And so he and he had this banking relationship at Bank of America and I didn't want to bank at Bank of America. And so it took us a while to actually merge the accounts. And I finally said, look, I have no insight into what's happening in our financial life. I am a financial planner. We have to merge accounts. We just have to go. And so we picked a different bank, like not the one I was using, not the one he was using. Now we have a third bank. I can't even tell you how many bank accounts we have, but finally we can do planning conversations together. It's like, I know how much is there. 
we took a cash flow management course that actually recommended us having a ton of different bank accounts so that we could have one for each category of spending. And we haven't gotten it fully up and running yet, but I can totally see how it would relieve stress. Yeah. So you are exactly right. That's exactly how I set up financial automation for my clients is we have your one spending account. We have your overhead account. So that's for the bills that you need to get paid. That's what your bills get paid out of that account. And then you have, like I have an account called All Things Auto. So it's for my car repairs as well as my next car purchase. I save for next year, the holidays, I celebrate Christmas. So I spend maybe 1500 bucks on gifts and I save for that all year. So it's not a surprise or painful when the spending comes. And then obviously my IRAs, my 401ks and my brokerage savings accounts. So yeah, many, many, many bank accounts. <laughs> okay. Lastly, let's talk about the stress of debt. I know that the way we feel plays such an important role in how we end up constructing and manifesting our reality. And there are a lot of millennials out there that feel just like they're drowning in their student debt. And not just millennials, there were plenty of people hit by the housing market crash as well. So for those of us who've already gone through step one of the seven steps to wealth <laughs> and we've decided to make a change, how can we feel more abundant so we start making better decisions to attract that abundance into our lives? So let me give you an example from a husband and wife that I worked with, and they were well compensated. So they're engineers in Silicon Valley, about $400,000 in income, but together they had racked up about $200,000 in debt. So they're saving in their 401ks and at the same time are spending more than they make. So every month they're trying to pay off the credit card debt, but then next month it just gets racked right back up again. So it was super overwhelming. It was like spinning 15 plates for them. And what we discovered when we got to the speak and plan steps to wealth is that he really had an artistic itch that he felt like he couldn't scratch, that he had given this up to earn a high income as an engineer for his family. And they're actually living like an hour and a half drive from Silicon Valley. So he's commuting, spending a massive amount of time either in his car or on the train. And he really felt like there was a part of him that was unfulfilled. And so he was spending a lot of money on music musical equipment. And she was critical of him. So he was spending a couple thousand dollars on some musical and recording equipment every month. This is so he can feel fulfilled and itch, scratch this itch that he feels he has. And she's getting more and more and more resentful. She's trying to spend less and less on herself, which of course leaves her feeling really not taken care of. So what we did was we set up a plan that allows him to spend, So, but it doesn't have to be covert. It doesn't have to be hidden. She knows about it. He gets that savings account that's just his or that spending account that's just his. And so does she. She gets the same amount. And so in that way, it's fair. It's transparent. They're in a partnership. They agreed to it. You know, he took a look around and he said, well, we've, you know, $200,000 in credit card debt. I've got quite a bit of equipment over here. Let me just make do with this and not keep spending and kind of putting a Band-Aid on this. I don't love my job problem. And while we were working together, he started looking for a new job. They actually worked out a plan so that he could stop working and he could actually start a musical business if he wanted to. And at the end of it, they felt like for the first time they were in a both emotional and financial partnership, but that they're really on a path to do what fulfills them in life. 
And that's not to say that that story is going to work for every one of your listeners, but I often find that there are really deeper subconscious issues when it when chronic overspending is happening. So I invite you to take a look at what really is going on with that spending. Why is it happening? And can we actually create a way for you to feel like you have an abundant life? Another example is my own my story when i did pulled my financial turnaround what i discovered is that food is a massive portion of your spending when you're first starting out right and i discovered that i just had really inefficient spending i was spending like $750 a month on restaurants that i didn't really enjoy like extra dishes but also this is really weird but condiments i was spending a massive amount on salsas and oils and cooking things, right, that I didn't even enjoy. So I was able to cut those out. It didn't cost me much in terms of utility or happiness. And I could then pay off debt with that money instead of spending it. I know that sounds like a really fringe thing to talk about, but it really was super inefficient spending and made a big difference for me. No, I'm really glad you said that because even if it does seem very specific, in a way, it's just more evidence for the concept that what we track improves. And the only way to make a real change is by taking action toward that change. And that action builds momentum. So we don't need to be confined by our circumstances. We can get back on top of it. So it really just goes back to the mindset. Yeah, exactly. And it's power of really looking at the numbers. We spend on so much, there has to be some of it that's inefficient in terms of how much utility or value is that dollar really giving you. And then you have the opportunity to spend on those things that give you the most ROI. Well, thank you so much for everything you shared today. I love how there was so much practicality blended with mindset and spirituality. So for listeners who want to connect more, where is the best place to find you online? Sure. The best place is my homepage, which is hillaryhendershot.com. Hillary has one L and Hendershot has two T's. From there, you can link to a white paper that I've recently published about the seven steps to wealth and my upcoming 50K wealth multiplier experience coaching program. If you're interested in considering being that, applications go live on April 11th of this year. Also, if you have room in your podcast lineup, check me out at Profit Boss Radio. So I'm curious, do you guys love practical episodes like these? Should I do more of them? Tweet at me at MindLoveMelissa and let me know. All of the links in this episode are at MindLove.com slash 074. And I've also included Hillary's TED Talk, The Surprising Power of Language to Make You Rich. It's definitely worth a watch. I also mentioned Jim Rohn, The Power of Ambition. I think I said The Law of Ambition in the episode, but it is The Power of Ambition. And it's really inspirational and just full of life lessons that just seem so relevant in so many situations. So that is in the show notes as well. I would love it if you supported Mind Love by supporting our sponsors. It's really a win-win because I personally vet them all, and I am so grateful to be able to partner with such amazing brands. And if you love the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Five-star reviews really help grow the show, so I'm going to be reading some of my favorite reviews as they pop up. This week, Julian Kim wrote, Melissa is a great life speaker, gives her side which is raw and honest, and her voice is really comforting too. And I, like many others I'm sure, enjoy listening to her. Thank you so much for taking time to leave that review, Julian. It means so much to me. 
to stay inspired between episodes, sign up for the Morning Mind Love emails at mindlove.com or text MORNING to 444-999. Thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your...